Welcome to this edition of On Politics. I'm Dr. Eric Morrow at Tarleton State University, and we're glad you're joining us today. Uh, we want to remind you that we are on KTRL 90.5 FM every week on Sundays at noon at this time. You can also follow us live streaming on tarletonradio.com. Uh, as well as follow us after the show or listen to us after the show on SoundCloud or where you download your podcast. And I also direct you to our Facebook page, as I do every week, uh, for related articles and information on the interviews and the topics that we discuss on the show. We are two and a half weeks out uh, from the election, the presidential election, and of course, many other state and local elections that will be happening on that day as well. And so we've been giving significant attention in these weeks uh, to the election and to different facets of it as we uh, look toward the election and also look beyond the election at what may be the, the pressing issues uh, that will be at the forefront of a new administration or a continuing administration. And so today, what I'd, I'd like to welcome to the show, uh, Dr. Jesus Velasco, who is a professor here at Tarleton State in the uh, Department of Government, Legal Studies and Philosophy. Uh, Dr. Velasco has given a significant amount of his, his research and focus on uh, foreign views of the United States, of the way that others outside of our country uh, view the issues and the politics and the elections that, that go on uh, in this country. He has his PhD from the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, he has a, a recent uh, publication. He edited the American Presidential Elections in a Comparative Perspective, The World is Watching, which was published in 2019. And uh, before that, his book, Neoconservatives in U.S. Foreign Policy under Ronald Reagan and George W. Bush, Voices Behind the Throne, which was published in 2010. And he has many other presentations he's done around the world, as well as articles that he has written, and very much brings to us a level of expertise uh, in these issues of looking outside of our country, uh, and, and really looking in, in terms of a reflection on how the world sees the U.S., why the U.S. is so critical or not, and some issues uh, on the global scene, and really something that as we move to this election where there is such a focus on what's happening internally, uh, to reminding us that, that there is the rest of the world out there, and they are watching what happens in the United States, whether we recognize that or not, or whether we are as aware of what is happening around the world that impacts us. So welcome, Dr. Velasco. Glad to have you today. Thank you for having me. So one thing to look at here that that, that we discussed in, in preparing for the show is are these very critical issues and events that happen in the U.S., uh, not just elections, uh, which we'll get to that, uh, but uh, issues like what happened with the, the, the death of George Floyd, with all of the events that followed that in terms of race, racial uh, issues that have been there and, and have risen to the surface in different ways, but became more acute after that event. And people are just not aware, I think, in terms of issues like this and how others around the world are looking at what's happening in our country. Uh, I mean, I, I can admit myself, I mean, the focus since that time has been what is happening in, in the United States, how are uh, governments, local, state, and federal dealing with that, uh, but, but not 
as much considering that perspective that comes from other countries who are watching how the U.S. handles both not just foreign issues, but domestic issues as well. And I know you've done some recent research on that. And so I wanted to really start with this and, and engage you on, on this topic and trying to help us and help our listeners in, gain kind of that a little bit of perspective here of how an issue like this is uh, viewed in other parts of the world and, ha- and how critical that is in terms of uh, both for the United States, but also in what's happening in those other countries as well. Sure, I will be happy to give you my my opinion. Perhaps we should start saying that or trying to answer the question of why people in the world are interested in what is going on in the United States. You know, uh, maybe we are not interested, very interesting, or we do not follow what is going on in France now, but why the world is interested in the United States. And I will have like a two or three points here. The first one is that the world follow the United States because the United States is simply the superpower of the world since the second, since the second war. So what is going on here, it's important. The United States is considered the oldest democracy in the planet. The United States has the biggest economy in the world. The United States has the most powerful, powerful military force on the planet. So that just, that fact captured the attention of the world. The second is that the United States is a reflecting pool. People reflect and measure themselves and countries measure themselves when they contrast with the United States. So are our democracy as good as the American? Is better than the American? What do we have to do to match the American? Those are concerns. The United States becomes like a kind of role model. We can do this or we can do that to be like better or worse than the United States. And then events that happen in the United States like the killing of George Floyd or the handling of the pandemic by President Trump captured the attention of other countries because those countries and the leaders, intellectuals, or the people of those countries used to exploit their, their own domestic politics. So they said, uh, oh, this is very good for us. For instance, when President Trump won the 2016 presidential election, Marine Le Pen in France said, oh, if Trump can win in the United States, I can win here. So it's a kind of of, of stimuli to the well uh, development of certain political tendencies. Or people compared to Trump or compared to other politicians. So, and the media captured that, for instance, uh, Rodrigo Duterte in Filipinas is called Donald Trump of Asia. Uh, Jair Bolsonaro of Brazil, the president of Brazil, is considered the uh, tropical Trump. And, and, the, uh, and the press refers to him as the tropical Trump. So these are kind of the events that, uh, or the reasons, sorry, that attract the attention of, of the world about the United States. If we want to go directly to the two issues that are uh, very important, 
right now it's that the United States is living a multi-dimensional crisis. And that crisis has three um, different components. One, it's a health crisis, like many other parts of the world or the entire planet, if you want to put it like this. Um, second, we have an economic crisis that is very serious. And then we have a social crisis. And the social crisis is related fundamentally in the case that derives from the killing of George Floyd. But for countries around the world, what is going on here in the United States is fundamentally reinforce other views that they have about racial inequality in the United States, social injustice in the United States, political violence in the country, unequal uh, health system. So just to, to, to finish this, this uh, part, uh, according to the magazine, The Economist, uh, an analysis of Twitter reflect that more than 140 countries uh, tweet the name of George Floyd. So just, just to give you an idea, 140 countries, for whatever reason, tweet the name of George Floyd. And, and the world follow, for the reason that I explained, the handling of Donald Trump, of the president of the United States, of the pandemic. Is this good or bad? Can be an example or not? Uh, and everything that I have said before. So when we look at how people in other countries engage with what's happening in the United States, and we know that, that certainly social media has to have, have a role in that, but one, one of the things, and I, I've, I've brought this up and we teach government classes uh, over the years that you, if you want to engage with news and information and issues in other countries, you often have to search for it in terms of media in this country. I mean, you have to go to either foreign media sources that are bringing that information in. It doesn't seem to dominate uh, news media. Uh, and, and, and in some cases, I would say print journalism, you know, it gives some attention. It just depends on what the sources are. But, but in, these, in, in other countries around the world, how how prominent is the U.S. in 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 media? I mean, is it is this the way that people follow what's happening here? Uh, how how do they really connect and in, in, into the issues and inform themselves about uh, what what's happening in the United States? Well, the media reports constantly. Um, I for my research, I follow fundamentally five six countries, Spain, Brazil, uh, France, Italy, England, and Mexico. Those are the ones that I read almost every day, the newspaper. Uh, I do not remember in the last five years, a day that I opened the Italian newspaper Corriere della Sera, and there's no an article on Trump or the United States or the uh, situation, the economic situation, or the relationship between the United States and China. I, I do not remember. Uh, there might be cases. Uh, it, it, the, the people of France, if you open the newspaper 
Le Monde or Le Monde Diplomatique is the same. If the, the British follow the United States on a regular basis, we, we can listen, and I listen um, in the morning, the BBC of London, and almost every day. So for the reasons that I explained, the, it, the, the world follow the United States. It's, it's an important country to follow. And what happened here, it's relevant for them. Um, in the United States, we have a traditional policy of, in the media, of not reporting on a regular basis uh, international events. Um, for instance, once, I don't know if it's still uh, today, but about six or seven years, I read that the United States only have, sorry, the, the, the newspapers in the United States only have one reporter in, in Japan. In the rest of Asia, they didn't, want, they didn't have one. Maybe this has changed. I'm not sustaining that this is correct. But if you see, for instance, how the TV, the, the, the news on TV report COVID-19, the pandemic, we have very few reports of, at the beginning on Italy that have a very serious uh, problem. I saw one report uh, of Sweden because Sweden, Sweden did not close anything. They, they follow a policy of no closing. Uh, they did not confine the people in their homes. I saw once, and basically that's it. Farid Sakara in, in GPS, uh, he, he does, but that's a program specialized on foreign policy. So he, he reports this on a regular basis. But I watch Fox News, uh, MSNBC, CNN, and, uh, and very rarely. So we are involved in, in our own problems, which are many. But the paradox here is that many of those problems are not going to be able to, to be solved unless you are engaged in international cooperation. And, and so information about just at the citizens level, information about what's going on in other parts of the world, it's very important. It's very important. And uh, uh, the case of, of COVID-19 reveals that. I mean, it, it's a world, it's a pandemic. So how do we cooperate or not? How do we obtain information? What is the relationship between scientists around the world? What are the new advances in the um, production of a vaccine? What are the uh, new treatments that you can provide? Is the cocktail received by uh, President Trump uh, has the same results in, in Ghana or in, in Bangladesh or in China? Those are elements that are essential to, to fight COVID-19. Before we get to some of those critical global issues that, that the U.S., needs to be engaged with or, or not. I mean, we, we talked a little bit about that, but I think kind of rounding this out and looking at ourselves here in this country, how, how do you see that a uh, either a kind of a lack of awareness globally? Uh, you had mentioned that uh, in our pre-show discussions about 
how many Americans you said, I think it was 35% have passports. Uh, so that's a, a large group of people who don't and who have never traveled. We have students in our classes who've never traveled outside of the state of Texas. Uh, but uh, how, what kind of effect does that have on, on politics? I mean, in that what, what may be either lacking there or be a challenge to people in this country in terms of their engagement with, with, with politics and with government that where they have a lack of awareness or engagement with what's going on around the world. Uh, I, know, I know that's a broad question there, but I, I think it's at kind of at the heart of this for our listeners, because I, I think in a way it's a challenge to all of us to say, hey, we need to be more aware of what is going on in the world and how the U.S. is, is engaged or not with that. But, uh, uh, but I think for a lot of people, it's, it's, it's the need for that awareness and how it influences their understanding of what government is doing or, or not doing. Let me tell you what I start telling you what I usually tell to my students. And I tell them that learning about other countries, other places, other cultures, make people flexible. And flexible people become tolerant people. And tolerant people are required in this planet every single day. So when you learn how other people behave, when you learn what are the features of other people that can be um, perhaps implemented in your country, when you understand the different codes that, that are relevant in different countries, your, your horizon spans substantially. And that allows you, in a nutshell, to become a better person and a better citizen. That's my own personal view. So uh, I think that we have a very interesting paradox. We are living in the time of the more globalized world and we are totally isolated. So uh, we do not share all the views. I have the opportunity for different reasons to, to travel to Scandinavia, for instance. And I have given lectures in many Scandinavian countries several times. That's a different planet. I mean, the, the way that they conceive, for, just to give you one example, the people in Sweden, are very critical of the, of the people that use on a regular basis airplanes because airplanes pollute the planet and create ex extreme noise. That's not an issue in the United States. Is that relevant? Maybe not, or maybe yes, depends on your criteria and your views, but that's a point to be considered. It's not as strange that this young woman um, Garrett that, that uh, goes around the world uh, promoting uh, the policies in favor of solving the problem of, of uh, global warming comes from Sweden. It's, it's not strange. I mean, it, it's producing that kind of situation. So I think that is extremely relevant. Uh, I think that, that people like myself that come from another country that have teach and live for many years, not only in Tarleton, Tarleton are gonna be 11 years since I arrived, but in other parts of the United States, 
you see how people perceive you. You see how you can contribute. I have a different take. And this is not only my case. It's, I always tell my students, I can see your face, but I have to go around to see your back. If I go around, I have a good picture of your face and your back. If I just see you in, just to your face, I don't know what is going on in your back. So it's a better way to comprehend the world in my own uh, humble view. Turning to issues that are on the global scene that are critical, uh, I'd, I'd like for you to identify some of those for our listeners in that we, we talked about this in two different ways, issues that either we need to be engaged in or not because of the U.S. influence and U.S. presence uh, in, in the world and and these issues. And of course, I know the certainly the pandemic is one of them, and, and that that's an issue all in of itself in terms of our uh, either success or struggles that we've had in trying to deal with the pandemic in our own country, much less how that relates to what others are, are, are doing. But what, what do you see are, are especially as we, we look ahead, we're not necessarily predicting any outcomes here, but in terms of the election, but we know that, that these are issues that are going to be ongoing. And there's a need for the U.S. Uh, to to be engaged or to be addressing these issues uh, in order to uh, contribute in some way or or to take a leadership role. Uh, what what how how would you identify some of those? Well, I think that the first one that uh, we just mentioned a minute ago is global warming. Uh, the United States has been highly affected by global warming. Um, if you see, and, and we have been living for a long time in, in Texas, uh, the way that we have now hurricanes and floods, it was not when I was a student in, in the late 1980s, early, late 1980s, early 1990s in UT Austin. I don't remember that kind of things. Um, the fires in California have increased substantially. Um, there are people that believe that at one point, the entire state of California have, will suffer some kind of burning. In it. So if you do not take care of this now, uh, it's, it's, it's gonna affect the population in the future. Um, there is a very interesting uh, gentleman, uh, James Hansen, that predicted that uh, the United States will be facing and the world will be facing 30 years ago what is facing today. And, and he believes that there is still a chance to stop this, uh, but we have to take different measures. And he has some policies that we can comment if you want. That's one. Either you like it or you don't like it. This is a global issue that in which the United States has to be involved uh, to, to uh, reject per, the participation of the country in the solving of this problem or to be highly involved in this. The second one that you just mentioned before is the pandemic. The pandemic is a global issue, requires the, uh, the participation of the United States uh, internationally is not uh, is not possible to solve 
the pandemic if we do not participate globally. Even if we have today the vaccine, imagine that this hypothetical issue come now. Well, how is going to be distributed? Is this going to be distributed first in, in the United States, in what states at the same time in all the states, then in what countries? Are we gonna uh, finance or help economically to the poor countries of the planet to get the vaccine or not? Are we gonna have cooperation with international organizations like the World, World Health, Health Organization to, to, to distribute the vaccine? I mean, if you start thinking that's, 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 um, that goes, has kind of a domino effect. The third is international terrorism. The fact that we do not talk a lot about international terrorism because um, we killed the leader of, of uh, ISIS or because Osama bin Laden was killed by the previous administration. That doesn't mean that uh, these organizations don't still uh, active. And that requires, again, international cooperation, requires intelligence cooperation security of, of the planet, it's very reserved when we have cooperation among different countries. Just to give you one example that happened with Mexico, not in terrorism, but with the capture of El Chapo Guzman, the main drug lord in Mexico that has a fortune of $14 billion. Well, the Americans and the Mexicans cooperate very well. The Americans with intelligence were telling the Mexican uh, uh, officers and military officers and police officers, El Chapo is right there. You, you better go and try to catch him. And then the Chapo ran away because he was very skillful. And, and, and the Americans said, no, no, no. Right now he's over there. Go and catch him until they got it. And right now he's in, he's in a prison in New York and he is not going to escape this one. So this is another Another issue that is important is, um, of course, relations with China. We do not solve anything saying that China brought the virus. We have developed a kind of uh, cold war with China that it's uh, expressed in many ways, in many, many ways around the world. Um, so that's, an issue that we have to, to address. And another issue that has global dimensions, it's what is going to happen with, with, the, um, with the nuclear war or the nuclear uh, developments in the planet. Um, everything shows that, uh, or at least the information that we can obtain, uh, in public information is that North Korea continue with his uh, missile developments. Um, some people believe that Iraq, sorry, Iran, it seems we uh, cancel our relationship, the pact, the agreement that we reached with them, is that Iraq is, is, is continue with, uh, with its program on, on uh, developing uh, nuclear facilities and maybe nuclear weapons. So those are issues, just to mention some of them, that are not going to disappear. Either the next president of the United States is Donald Trump or Joe Biden.
each one of them, whatever is the next president of the country, will have to face these challenges that are very important for the country and for the so planet. Going back, yes, yes, definitely. So going going back to what you had said initially about about influence, I wanted to, to ask a little bit about how. Uh, the role that the U.S. has in, in that we, the country gives billions of dollars in aid through a lot of different types of programs around the world, and and certainly this this has some influence. And but on on the one hand, is it where I think in helping people understand that because this might be the one thing that some people do know about U.S. foreign policy or just awareness of that there is a, a significant amount of resources of uh, of. U.S. resources that, that go around the world. And, and I guess sometimes part of this is looking at it in terms of, of influence and purpose in that, yes, we know a lot of foreign policies directed at national interest and so on. But I wanted to, to ask just specifically here about, you know, there's a political side to that, uh, but there's also a, a lot of that focused in terms of humanitarian. It's focused in terms of supporting things like certain programs through USAID that are focused on cultural initiatives, things like that, and the way that foreign aid that is provided by the U.S. relates to this way that other countries view the U.S. and, and who's in the White House and what issues going on. Um, uh, I, I think for some people, there might be a disconnect there in trying to understand that. The simple, simplistic explanation would be, hey, we give money, those countries look at us favorably. But it's a lot more complex than that. And I didn't know if you had some some insight into that and in trying to help people understand uh, something that, that is very complex, but really relates to how the U.S. is viewed by other countries around the world. Well, first, I would like to say that the international involvement of the United States in the world is extremely complex. I mean, as being the superpower is basically involved or people ask him to be involved in almost everything. And that is not possible. So, but that's the, um, the, uh, the thinking. The United States wants, uh, Many, many politicians have said that is an indispensable uh, country, that without the United States, you do not move many things. But I think that the best way to, to frame your question is we face a dilemma in the United States that maybe it's uh, uh, more important here than in other countries that also face the same dilemma, and is what is more going to be more prevalent, more relevant, principles or interests? So if it's our principles, yes, we can have a lot of work on humanitarian uh, participation. Have we done that? Maybe yes, but maybe not. For instance, we didn't do anything in Rwanda in the genocide. And the United States have the possibility to do a bunch of different things? Yes, of course. Have we uh, make our principles prevail? Well, in some cases, of course. In others, not. It's our interest. It's our interest. 
when the Reagan administration uh, support uh, military regimes in Latin America, especially in Central America after the Sandinist revolution of 1979, well, it was for American geopolitical interest, right? They, do, they were fighting in the Cold War with the Soviet Union and the United States geopolitically considered that their interests were to stop any possible manifestations of communism or socialism in Central America. So this is a, a dilemma that we face. Uh, how is perceived? Well, for instance, it's very bad perceived when, when you have an administration today that is rejecting what the United States bill, that is the liberal international order. The United States was the main architect of the liberal international order for the, its own benefits. So when we participate in the creation of the United Nations, in the creation of the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund and all those organizations that we talk NATO, it was for our interest that they were very important, yes. Now, uh, and it's not my opinion, it's the opinion of people that are more specialized than myself, like Professor John Eikenberry of Princeton said, well, the Trump administration is basically destroying the liberal international order. Why? Because for the Trump, uh, what is relevant is uh, America first. And that means fundamentally, uh, uh, domestic politics. Well, how is perceived that, the, the, that we get out of the World Health Organization very bad? I mean, it's, it's negative. Why? Because we're in the middle of the pandemic and we decided to go out. Uh, is that has been criticized? Oh yeah, all over the world. Uh, from um, very smooth criticisms from the, the uh, Antonio Guterres uh, the, uh, of the United Nations to a very strong criticisms of the Minister of Foreign Affairs in Ireland. Uh, well, maybe that's what it's convenient for the United States according to the President of the United States. But the world perceives others, why? Because it's traditional conception that the United States plays a leadership in the planet. And that leadership is losing ground uh, uh, because we are moving away from that leadership, like going out of uh, WHO. And, and I think that's, that's it's going to be a problem. There's a scholar that once said that not not so long ago, about about a year ago, that said that for the first time since the 1950s, the United States is not the leader in conducting something internationally, and in this case, is the fight against the COVID-19. Maybe it's right or not, but um, but the point here is that. Sometimes we have that conflict and that conflict between interest and, 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 and principles take us to places in which the world does not like. 
even though, as you said, that is very complex and you are think absolutely correct that giving money, it's important, but not giving, sometimes is very important. For instance, what the United, what the World Health Organization is going to be losing for not contributions of the United States can be replaced by private donations and, the, and, and contributions of other countries. It's not that the organization is going to collapse, but what is going the view, the view of the world that is very bad. That is very bad because in these moments you do not do that. So we're, we're a few weeks out from the election. And so it, with, with all of the attention around the world that's, that's given to the U.S., this has to be a, a, a focus, a moment of focus, because as we know here in this country, it, it can either continue policies and, and approaches and, and uh, uh, direction on a number of issues, or it could drastically change. Uh, and, and so not so much, you know, in terms of the outcome of the election, but I think more in terms of the context of what we're talking about of, of views from outside of the U.S., this election, what, how, how is an election like this in, in terms of presidential elections, but also this one in particular, given that uh, I think we do have, if we look back at, at, at former Vice President Joe Biden and in, in terms of the Obama administration, and we look at the Trump administration, uh, there is quite a bit of diversity there in terms of, of foreign policy and uh, how they see the, the, these global issues. So where, where is that uh, focus right now? I mean, how intense is that at looking at this election uh, and uh, uh, concern about the outcomes and what direction this may take the United States as a, as a world leader? Well, I think that the, the world and, 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 uh, and people in the United States are very concerned for, for the election in the sense that what it's going to be the outcome it will affect uh, substantially uh, the, the, the global policy of um, not only of the United States, but the international planet, which goes again to the issue that the United States is a very important country in the world. So in general terms, it, it's complicated to go specific. The, uh, the world perceive that um, that Biden is the favorite of the planet. The world wants to change and to have Biden. Does Donald Trump have people that favor? Yes, of course. Of course, just, just to mention one, Israel is very pro-Trump, just to mention one. So, but if you go to Europe, to Latin America, some countries and the majority countries of Latin America, um, uh, they are, let's say, pro-Biden. Is this a strange? No. It happened the same with Hillary Clinton in, in the presidential election. Well, Dr. Velasco, we're going to leave it there with the interview, but I'd like to leave open the opportunity post-election to have you back to look at some of these global issues in the context of a, a, a new or continuing administration and where we might see some directions from that. So uh, thank you for joining us today and, and offering uh, these insights on such significant issues. Uh, really with this, I think we broaden our listeners' understanding of not only the importance of, of each election, but of 
of having this engagement with global perspectives on, on what's happening in the U.S. and the role that the U.S. has around the world. So thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me, and I will be delighted to meet you again. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Politics can be confusing, but On Politics with Eric Morrow has your back. Follow the show on Facebook. Search On Politics with Eric Morrow to stay up to date with the show and all the sources to follow right along. Texas is a Texas-based history podcast from historian Dr. T. Lindsay Baker. Find a new episode every Thursday morning wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to On Politics. I'm Dr. Eric Morrow, and I'm glad to have you with us today. We enjoyed that Great interview with Dr. Jesus Velasco, faculty member in political science here at Tarleton State. And I hope it encourages our listeners to be more globally aware. Uh, one of the focal points of that interview was looking at how the U.S. is perceived and understood around the world as a global power, but also our engagement with very critical issues. And no matter what those issues are, I mean, I think that's, that's one part of it. But the other side of it is knowing that the U.S. has a presence and a role and a place in, in a variety of ways. And so being engaged and being aware of that is important for all of us because in elections, we are electing the people, especially the president, but also our members of Congress who make those decisions, who guide that policy and that engagement uh, with the rest of the world. To close out the show today, I wanted to focus briefly on an element here that I think is critical going into the final weeks of the race for the White House. And that is just to give us a little bit of a glimpse into the politics of campaigning or the politics of campaigns. And this is why we refer to what's happening right now. You have the Trump campaign, you have the Biden campaign, but there's some elements here that I think are, are critical and, and are very helpful in understanding the different political dynamics that are going on. So this is not meant to be a, a commentary that's a critique of, of either campaign in as much to focus on what they are doing or what they're not doing uh, that is, is leading up to the election. And, and some of this comes out of looking back at the way campaigns have been done and how they have been handled, what we've learned from those, what, what uh, candidates today either learn or don't learn from what's happened in the past. And of course, you have all of this within a changing political dynamic within the country, uh, as we see in terms of not just partisanship, but geography and race, diversity, all of these factors that influence uh, political outcomes and especially elections. So one of the things when you're looking at the politics of campaigning that's important is to look at strategy. And of course, those of us who do political science, those of us who are engaged in policy, uh, this is something that is, is important to us. And we do this on a regular basis based on how the dynamics of a race will change. And so strategy is all about uh, where you are within the election, your, your positioning. Uh, and this does relate to polling, certainly, because ultimately it's who gets the most votes or in case of the White House, who uh, secures the most electoral college votes uh, for the office. 
but but strategy is so critical. And this is why campaigns spend uh, millions and millions of dollars on on strategists and on strategies and implementing those strategies in order to target certain areas to to really optimize voting. I mean, that's that's the goal. You're trying to optimize voting in a way that leads to the outcome you want, which in an election and you're running for office, that's to win. So how do you optimize voting in order to do that? Uh, now, I know I'm, 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 I'm kind of simplifying in one way for those that might be more engaged with this and have a, a broader knowledge base, but uh, I wanted to, to approach it this way because I think we need to try to understand what the two ca- campaigns are doing here as we approach the election. And, and what is their strategy? How are they trying to optimize voting? And one of the challenges in presidential politics has been the shift from the primary to the general election. In the primary, the focus is often on optimizing voting within a party and within those who associate with a specific political ideology, because you've got to win the nomination of the party. In the general election, you move to a strategy of trying to optimize voting across the country or within specific states because the total vote, as we've seen in in several elections in 2016 and 2000, uh, the person who gets the most votes doesn't always win. It is the person who captures the most electoral college votes. Thus, you're looking at how do you optimize votes within a specific group of states that we see as swing states. So this is one of the the strategies that goes into this in trying to make that transition. It's interesting about this year's presidential campaigns and the election is that the base of support for each candidate has not wavered that much. They they have uh, not necessarily gained nor lost uh, the percentage that they have of favorability. And, and so that, that factors into a strategy as well, because that means that there's a smaller grouping of people out there to swing one way or another to try to optimize that vote, to try to gain that vote in those swing states in order to win uh, the electoral college votes. So those are three things right there, strategy, optimizing votes, swing states. And there's a couple of other things that we've discussed that I want to refer back to. One is the economy. As we've said with the, the, the Moody report and how they are analyzing elections, the economic conditions going into election, especially the final weeks of an election become very, very important. And what I think we see in this election right now, where we see economic challenges, unemployment, and a lot of this affected by the pandemic, but we see those two really tied together. And so those are two parts of this and campaigning right now that I see are critical going up to election day. And that is that the economy in as much as it's tied to the pandemic, because you see other economic factors are really being suppressed given that we see infection rates are increasing, that the pandemic is really not waning, uh, that we're still waiting on a vaccine, which may be months out uh, before it happens. And we're seeing all of these challenges that are, are, are focused around the pandemic. And so I think that's one of the unique elements in this uh, cycle, in this election cycle that has impacted strategy, it's impacted the approach, and, it, and it, I think it will certainly have an impact on the outcome. If we don't have any other economic, drastic economic changes in the next few weeks, the majority of people voting 
are either they're voting because they align with a party or an ideology or and or they're voting because of the pandemic and who they think will be the right person in that office uh, to lead us out of it. And I think that's where we have to be looking at the plan. What is the plan going forward? What is the plan for a Donald Trump or Joe Biden going forward in addressing the pandemic? That's a little bit on the politics of campaigning. I want to thank you for joining us today. We look forward to being with you right here on KTRL 90.5 FM each week at Sunday at noon and then following us online and listening to us on SoundCloud or where you get your podcasts. We will look forward to being with you next week. Thank you. with production from me, Taylor Welch, and me, Carissa Cole. Find more great shows by searching Tarleton Radio Network wherever you get your podcasts.